As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. This is our review of Wes Craven's New Nightmare, starring Heather Langenkamp, Robert England, Miko Hughes, John Saxon, Tracy Middendorf, David Newsom, Wes Craven, and Robert Shea. Directed by Wes Craven, released in 1994 on a budget of $8 million, grossed $19.7 million at the box office. I remember distinctly renting this with my dad back in the day, Brian. You know, I told the story in the first episode about seeing the first Nightmare on Elm Street with him. So when this came out in theaters, we missed that. But when it was out in, in uh, home video release, he was like, hey, let's check that out. It looks interesting. We rented it. And I, I had distinct memories of this um, growing up and have watched it many many times since and i only watched it after i bought the big box set because i had never heard of it before until then (laughs) well you're not alone in that one so uh yeah this is an interesting part of the nightmare history you could almost argue that it's not even really well it's really not in the canon of the nightmare films at all right um it is its own little thing. I mean, at this point, Jason had gone to hell with New Line, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and Freddy versus Jason was still stuck in development along the way. And Craven got together with Bob Shea, the producer, and said, hey, I've got this uh, idea, this thing. Uh, literally, he had another nightmare and said, I, I kind of get this idea and <laughs> pitched it to Shay and Shay pitched it to Langenkamp in England. And they were all like, yeah, sounds sounds fun. And they went and did this. Uh, you know, a lot of people will tell you and, and it's only in retrospect that you know this now, but this movie is, you know, the the precursor to scream scream mm-hmm. and a lot of other, you know, meta horror films, films that are aware that they're horror films and, uh, unironically, you know, and all that stuff and, and play it off for such. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I remember this one because I remember how long it was. This is the longest of the series. It's almost two hours long. It comes into an hour 52. Yes. And, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a totally different take on the Freddy verse, if you will. Yeah, and I was actually going to say, if before you said it, I was going to say this is like his precursor to Scream, and it's almost like he had Scream in his head to do, but he had the Freddy well, universe to play with, and that's what he went with. 
Well, he he did. Now that's the thing is Kevin Williamson wrote Scream, and that is Kevin Williamson's baby. Craven got involved in that on the the back end of it, but I think he was aware of it in some way. And there's another horror movie out there, and for the life of me, I think it's called Who's Out There or something like that. It's about people in a cabin in the woods, and somebody's telling them, "Hey, there's this person out here that's going to kill us," and nobody believes them. And then, sure enough, they're actually somebody out there killing them. I've never seen either. That's not Leprechaun Origins. I'm certain that's not Leprechaun. Well, fuck, we know where that came from then. <laughs> Everyone can go in the archives and hear our review for free of Leprechaun oh. Origins and all the other Leprechaun films for that matter. But yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's not Leprechaun Origins. Uh, but that <laughs> that movie existed. Um, and, you know, the, the Scream idea itself was different. At the time, but the idea of that type of a film had been roaming around Hollywood for us, so maybe he was aware of it. I don't know, but this does feel like the dry run for something like Scream. People that know they're in a horror movie that try to play along with the rules of the horror movie, and then it gets bent against them. But this one, unlike Scream, has this real supernatural spin to it, and and it's also got. Uh, uh, you know, Craven's not afraid to throw a few jabs at the genre too along the way. I mean, he's definitely got some opinions about sequelizing horror films and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. He drops mm-hmm. all of that in here, but yeah. So uh, a little different. He's had a little bit of a detour. You know, I feel like all these horror series have this one. You know, Fred, Jason's really the only one that doesn't. People will tell you Part Five is this big detour. It's really just somebody acting like Jason. I mean, that's the the detour. It's not Jason, but you know, whatever. It's still the same mo and everything. Jason's movies kind of the ninth one, the one New Line did, I guess, was a little bit of a detour because it was really weird and supernatural in some ways, but. For the most part, you know, not all these horror movies do this, but like Halloween 3 was the weird one in that series, remember? Hellraiser's got one, this one's got one now. So I guess all of them eventually do something that's just a little off the rocker, if you will. Yeah, I I, I think it's a interesting idea, and I really enjoy the idea that of this movie. Uh, even if it seems a little weird at times... It throws you for a kind of loop, and but I think the, the the best part of the movie is kind of mixing that that reality versus fantasy line, right? Crossing yeah. that line in this in this film. So I think it's neat too to note that the, you know we listed the actors here, and in the cast list, they're not playing himself; they're playing themselves. Like it's Heather Langenkamp mm-hmm. as Heather. You know, and and I and I kind of like that that they're playing a character of themselves. I mean, in real life, Heather Langenkamp had a stalker. It wasn't for Freddy movies, oddly enough. It was for just the ten of us, believe it or not. <laughs> what? So yeah, off the TV show, she had one. And Wes asked her, "I can write that in the movie," and she's like, "Yeah, okay." And in real life, she's married to an effects guy. You know that that she had met on the set of you know one of the movies she had been in and stuff like that. So I mean, like, there's a lot of this stuff that's done that's life imitating art, imitating life, all all that backward and forward. I mean, I feel like this movie goes in in circles on itself sometimes, but um, it was unique for the time, and I do think that's one of the reasons it didn't do so great at the box office. I just don't think people got it or yeah. ready for this kind of thing I, I think they they saw new nightmare and if you see them the front of it to them i mean it's freddy but it's like a more evil looking freddy and it look it's like it's gonna be scary again you know you go in expecting one thing and it's something real different i mean it's a real 
change from part six, that's for sure. Big time. Well, it's a change from all the movies, to be honest. Yeah. They, they do yeah. play a little bit on the old ones, but yeah, it's definitely a change. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I guess let's get into it here, Brian. Why don't you lay people a plot summary out for Wes Craven's new nightmare, and then we can talk about it. What if life imitates art? Well, in this movie, it does. Heather Lanningkamp is just trying to live a normal life as a mother of her young son, Dylan, and a wife to special effects wizard husband, Chase. However, when her old friend Wes Craven asks her to do another movie, she is haunted by a force that she cannot explain. The evil spirit that inspired Craven to create Freddy Krueger is tired of sitting on the sidelines with a series dead and wants to be free again. So, it manufactures earthquakes, causes accidents that kill Chase, and drives Heather into believing her son is in danger of being possessed. So, Heather enters the dream world and confronts the evil force, now in Freddy form, once again and once and for all, seemingly locking it away in a fiery death. Turns out, though, this is all just a nightmare of Craven, who dreamed it, while indeed making a new Nightmare movie starring Heather as Nancy once again. Or something like that. Yeah, that I kind of think that's the storyline here, is that this is... It, well, it's it's aptly named. This is Wes Craven's new Nightmare. It's a spin on the old thing. And it's really all summed up in this great monologue you get from Craven at his house with... Heather Langenkamp about midway through the movie where he talks about you know it just started writing itself and weird things happened and and ultimately he reveals to her like they have a conversation and then they go look on the screen and there's the conversation right Mm -hmm. it's like you know all that and I remember like when I saw that I was like mind blown you know in 1994 I was like no way that is the craziest thing ever but uh I mean, man, yeah, this this movie is a it's a real twist on itself, and it I mean it opens up cold and fast too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get right into this the the new glove being manufactured on a movie set, and I mean it's like the glove is like this mechanical thing, and this guy's going to cut off his arm and shove it on there, and I'm like that looks kind of cool actually. I would mm-hmm. I would like to see that Freddy movie. Yeah, and and what did he say? It had like. It had the blood of some animal and living animal. Yeah, like live tendons in it from a lion or some nonsense. And I'm like, what are you talking (laughs) about? But, you know, I'm like, man, this is the kind of geeky stuff, though, that, like, you know, some effects wizard would dream up, probably. Yeah. You can't do that, right? What I like, too, about it is the, the fact that the glove, even after all these years, still kind of freaks her out. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing is Heather Langenkamp plays this off as it, it, after all these years. It's been, I mean, they talk about it, it's 10 years since the original one. Like, that's the thing that they, they keep harping on in this movie. And that it still just wigs her out, you know? Like, it, it, it wigs her son out and all this stuff. And, like, dad is all like, yeah, whatever. It's just, you know, it's just fake, right? You know, and he's playing around with it because he's a big effects nerd, of course. But I, she still is like, I don't, I don't know about that thing, you know? Yeah, and definitely she gets freaked out. She kind of tries to protect her son from seeing that thing. And the whole vibe for her is like, I don't really want to be here, right? I don't want to relive these these events. Well, that's the thing is that this opening bit happens and you see 
two of the effects assistants get like killed in gory fashion. One of them gets stabbed in the neck, and the other one gets uh, gets stabbed gore, in the chest. Yeah. And all, I mean, it's just super gore everywhere. And that wakes up, and it's in the middle of an earthquake. Now, the, the funny little piece of trivia I found out about this that I didn't know uh, until years later was the big San Francisco earthquake happened while they were shooting this movie. And oh. the, they they decided to work that into the plot because there was so much damage, of course, around, and they had plenty so to shoot. They shot this movie in, like, 89? Because that no, was the no, big no. San Francisco earthquake. No, no, there was another one in the 90s, and they shot it it they shot oh. it during the time when the one that interrupted the World Series. That was whatever, 89. The, was that 89? Okay, yeah. well, there was another one, apparently, in, like, 93 that they... They were able to shoot around and get to this, so yeah, that's that's cool. the fun part of it. Yeah, it's very, very interesting little twist that 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 went down. I mean, they were as this was getting written and things. Craven had one had two things in mind. He wanted to do something that was much darker and much less comical, like go back to kind of Freddy's organic look and really to separate the character Robert England had been playing from what Freddie had started out as in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the thing is it, it, this whole thing is that evil can get trapped by the storytellers, you know, and this is the part of the movie that's a little pretentious too, but it's also the part that works, right? Cause every good, good yarn has to have some bit of pretension to it. And it, this idea that the best storytellers can capture an evil and they captured the Freddy one and it kind of liked Freddy as, as a, a source, but because Freddy became more popular than anything else and became a joke and it, it kind of lost all of its power and its luster. And much like in the movies, you know, Freddy had lost his power because people weren't dreaming anymore. They weren't, sleeping anymore that you know or he had killed them all off or whatever the thing just kind of got bottled up and now that the series was dead it had gotten out of the bottle the evil had and it wanted to do something you know bigger and and badder and i don't know i like that whole conceit i thought that was smart i thought that was a a cool twist on this whole thing yeah i think it's a cool twist too and i like that um all of the characters are kind of having these flashbacks, right? It's not just mm-hmm. Heather, even though Heather's getting the worst of it, right? She's got the stalker. She's got, you know, phone calls coming in. Her son's getting affected by it. But even Robert Englund's getting it. Uh, uh, the guy who played her dad is getting John it. John Saxon. Yes, yeah. John Saxon. All these yeah. people are are being affected by it. She's the only one who thinks it's Freddy Krueger, right? <laughs> well, she, well she, she thinks it is this evil presence that like the 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 evil Freddy, I guess is what we're gonna have to call it here or whatever. It's the, that evil force that she learns about, and it just manifests itself as as Freddy. I mean, I you talk about her kid, man. Okay, Miko Hughes is he's been in a lot of horror movies and stuff. He was the little kid that that got killed in Pet Cemetery. I loved that one. You can go listen to our review of it. Me and Nick talked about that a lot. But he always plays like the weirdest little kid. But I want to tell you something. He is no stranger than he's in this movie. This kid is freaky. Like, my wife's never seen this movie before. She walks through and I'm watching it and she's like, there's something wrong with that kid, like, in real <laughs> life, right? And I'm like, no, that's just that's just him. He's just playing. Like, no, there's something wrong with him, right? I'm like, but this kid is messed up. Mm-hmm. He is. I and mean, he, he does it so well. He plays that kind of a psychotic kid. Right? Yeah. You, 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 you're thinking that he's going to be the murderer all this time. And in some cases, he, he attempts it. 
Well, yeah, like they do play with that a little bit that he could be the killer, you know. So I don't know. It's I I thought I thought it it's very very strange. So do you find it interesting that he's always seeming to like find Nightmare on Elm Street on television? <laughs> you know, well, like it, I oh, it's part yeah. of the the it's part of the story, right? Even after the TV is unplugged after the first time, the movie keeps mm-hmm. popping up. Right, and he's watching it, and I think it's hilarious that he's watching his mom's movie, right? And he's right. trance; he's entranced by it because every time something distracts him from it, it freaks him out. It's like he wakes up from the trance and he's scared out of his wit, right? So yeah, it's a it's a plot device that kind of draws him into his psychotic state. Yeah, they they play this whole thing off that, and they have this whole conversation with her on like the talk show and stuff. Like, would you let your kid watch horror movies? Does that affect you? You know, does that affect the way you think about horror movies anymore? You know, all this like it's like this sort of side commentary going on, right? And then on the other hand, you've got like Bob Shay pitching her to be in a movie, and she's like, I don't know, I'm a mother now, and he's like, Oh, come on, Heather, kids are the demographic. Horror yeah. movies, and it's like he's sitting there admitting and, what everyone knows, and all yeah. the audience. There's all the kids dressed up as Freddy freaking Krueger, right? Yeah, and, and like, you know, and Robert England comes out in full Freddy makeup for some you know nothing talk show. Uh-huh. I'm like that. I'm like that takes hours to put on. That's that's dedication right there, baby. And it's so. off pretty quickly once he's back the backstage talking to her. <laughs> Indeed, right? Yeah, but when he comes out and you're all my children. Oh, and I'm like, man, you know, but this is, I think that's the point here. Craven's trying to say is the, these stories can stay bottled up until they become so watered down. So a part of the public conscience that then it, it, it they break free from it. And it, it, yeah. And I mean, he's saying basically you guys took my good idea and screwed it into the ground. I mean, it's, that's what he's essentially telling new line is that parts two, three, six suck. You know, well, even though he yeah. had something to do with three, which is amazing. And, and I'm going to say this. I may be in the minority here, but I'm not completely not on Craven's side here. Now, look, I've given favorable reviews to way more of those than I thought I would. But I was just <laughs> watching them for what they were in the moment. But I'll tell you right now, that first one is light years ahead of the rest of them as far as I'm concerned. Like, well, that, the first that, one's a true, yeah. true horror film. Yeah. After that, it becomes... I mean, number two was an attempt at a horror film. It just wasn't as strong a story. But after that, it kind of becomes a horror-slash-comedy film. Right. So, yeah, they kind of watered it down a lot. And maybe it was because they needed to sell some merchandise to the kids. I don't know. (laughs) I don't... I don't... I mean... I, I guess again, it's it isn't all how you how many times you can retell the story and redo it. They went down a road with Freddy, and then you know they followed it. I mean, again, we talked about before like three, four, and five are kind of their own little trilogy of the Dream Warriors, uh, you know, trilogy, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then six is its own weird offshoot, and so is part two. So. I mean, there was a story in there that they were trying to tell, but yeah, it, did it get watered down? Sure, you know, six parts in, sure, it was. It's it was bound to, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing is, is that like for a while there, they play this as if Heather might just be going crazy, you know. Oh yeah, and I. And I almost wish like there had been a little. I don't want this movie necessarily to be longer, but I kind of could have gone with maybe more of. Well, maybe she is crazy. Maybe they should have played that more before they killed the husband off. 
You know, yeah. I feel like that happens a little quick. It does, but I mean, the husband's a plot device too because when, in the first stream, he obviously gets slashed by the the rene- renegade glove, and in when he wakes up, they have the earthquake, and of course, he's cut on the fingers and. That's the first sign for her that something's going on, and then the earthquake tears Freddy Claus into the wall. There's another sign, but right. um, having the husband killed that early, it doesn't really bother me, so to say, because that way you can play the the role of Heather's going a little crazy here because the kid just had a dramatic thing happen with the dad dying, so that can explain his psychosis, but hers seeing him this way, I don't know. It, it was an interesting look at it. But I agree. I think I wish they would have gone more into the she's crazy thing. They do drop a few lines about how it runs in her family. Right. And she's worried that the kid has it when she should be probably worried that she has it. Right. right. And the doctor is really looking at her like she's a nut. Right. Exactly. So, So, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I Again, I could have gone a little bit more with that. And they do play with that a good bit in the hospital scenes. You're right. It's just... It's almost played a little over dramatic in that part. I do find that to be hilarious how that that works out. And uh, they, uh, I mean, she gets another screw your pass hall pass line. I wonder if you <laughs> caught that or not. I was like, oh, yeah. oh that's that's Brian's favorite line. Screw so you. Uh, yeah, screw your pass. You know, it's even better this time. I'm like, well, that's actually a better delivery. So, <laughs> well, she so had years like, to perfect. <laughs> I was like, you go, you go, Heather. You've grown. As a performer, but no, I love though that like all the, the like the dream stuff that she thinks is is coming true, like the cracks in the wall after the aftershock look like Freddy slashes, mm-hmm. right? You know, the son is always seeing the the movie. She goes on a talk show to talk about that, and then Robert England shows up in Freddy makeup and it's, it it creeps her out, right? You how know? about how about Rex? <laughs> the dinosaur, yeah, right? it, how about how does, yeah. she she he's got slashes, right? So she sees right. that and immediately thinks that you know Dream Freddy's coming after her kid. But she repairs a green dinosaur with red thread. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's got stitches now, though. It's so cute. It's I, bloody I mean, stitches in the Freddy colors. <laughs> I know. But you know what? I, I liked the idea there, though, because that's like something my mom would have done. Oh, yeah. You know? And I'm like, I can totally buy it. Like, I think that's it's kind of sweet in sort of a twisted way, you know, but, but it gives like Rex like this, you know, we, we, the kid leaves him at the end of the bed under the covers. We find mm-hmm. out because as she's reading him Hansel and Gretel, which that's going to come into play by the way. Uh, Big time. Yes. As, as that's happening, um, she is, uh, she notices this lump in the bed and he's like, no, Rex keeps, uh, keeps the bad man, the nightmare man or whatever down at the end of the bed. And I'm like, if only they could have had like a fake dinosaur come up to Freddy oh, at some point, yeah. that would have been awesome. Well, that would have been that would have been fun. That would have been more like the uh, video game sequences. It would it would have <laughs> been more like what goes on in part six, admittedly. But uh, and I'm kind of glad they didn't go for that. But I just think that I I just think that it was fun that they played that and she had the stitches. I thought the stitches were cute. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Well, you can think that all you want. <laughs> but let's talk about the kid you know we, we mentioned mm-hmm. that he's kind of got this psychotic behavior going on and how much of that's real and how much of that's imagined we we don't really ever get out of this um yeah but he's watching her movie and she goes and turns it off and it comes on again and she unplugs the tv and he just 
loses it right there. It's almost like he wakes up from it. And they show, what I like about that is they show him in a dream state. He's sleepwalking at one point and everything. And it shows a real reality of, you know, they always tell you don't wake up someone who's having a night terror and don't wake up someone who's sleepwalking. And the reason is that they will freak the hell out because it's, they don't know what's going on at that point, right? You're waking them out really? of a deep sleep, and they'll okay. start freaking out. So it's always, you know, they always tell you that if if you have a sleepwalker, just follow them until they, to make sure they don't get in any trouble or anything. And you can kind of guide them <laughs> as they're doing things, but never try to actually physically wake them up. You know, my roommate in college, my freshman year, was studying to be a nurse, and he knew the same thing that you're just saying there or whatever. And I used to sleepwalk really bad when I was in college. He actually saw me get up, go outside, move my car, parking spots over from where it was wow. the day before, whatever, come back inside and lay back down. And I said, man, before I operate a motor vehicle, please stop me. Yeah. Because I had I got up and walked outside with him the next day, and I was like, "Where's my car?" He's like, "Oh yeah, you got up and moved it last night." And I was like, "What? I had no idea I <laughs> yeah. done that." Yeah, I, I mean that that's a pretty extreme case there, Jay. Um, but uh, I haven't done that in years. But I mean, we're talking about that. I'm sad to say that's almost 20 years ago now that that happened yeah. to me. But I remember doing that distinctly. So yeah, so his his he should have tried to direct you back to the bed or. Or, you know, calmly told you to put the keys down or followed you out to make sure you didn't kill someone. <laughs> yeah, really, right? But, so. um, yeah, they, they just don't wake up a, a sleeping per- a person like that because they're in such a deep state of sleep that when you bring them out that quickly, it just wreaks havoc. Wow, so I didn't I'm, realize that. As a, a parent who had um, a child who had night terrors, Mm-hmm. Um, the the one thing that that the doctors always told me because what we would do is we would try to wake the kid up and the doctor would say you can't do that because number one they're gonna wake up completely right they're gonna be fully awake once you do that and you're never gonna get them back to bed and number two you're gonna scare the shit out of them hmm. um, so it, you know we always would have to kind of just sit there and watch them so that they didn't hurt themselves but also make sure that they were able to calm themselves back down. Because if you let them cal- finish their night terror and calm down, they'll go right back into sleep. So. Uh, that, yeah, that makes that makes sense then. So I, I get that. Well, I, I don't know. I thought it was... I, I thought, it, again, the kid having the terrors and all the back and forth that she has to go through as as Heather, as the mother, and, you know, the loss of the dad. Look, one of the freakiest things is at the dad's funeral, when she basically has a, you know, falls asleep and has a nightmare in it, mm-hmm. where Freddie is trying to drag her son right. through the foot of her, you know, husband's coffin, and he starts bleeding out of the eyes. And all. Man, that was creepy. I thought, yeah. you talk about something that, by the way, that's cameo-laden. You got Tuesday night out there, and Nick Corey's in the background, and all these other people from some of the other nightmare movies. But uh, I, I thought that scene just by itself was just really freaky. I agree. Yeah, it was a good. It was well done, and the just the uh, the husband getting up in his corpse state and, and telling her, you know, <laughs> so talking to her was was pretty freaky. I do want to ask you, Jay, what are your thoughts were on on Julie? Because to me, I I was skeptical over the whole movie. I thought she was going to actually be bad. 
Oh, you're talking about the uh, the nanny the friend, girl, yeah. mm-hmm. the friend that kept. I didn't think she was bad at all. I li- I liked the fact that Heather had another female like compadre. I just kept there. feeling like they put her in situations where she could totally do something horrible, and and it never happened. Mm-hmm. But I thought that's yeah. that the kind of what we're setting her up for was that she was going to turn on Heather at some point, especially the scene where she goes to the uh, to the um, uh, doctors. And sh- mm-hmm. and Julie's there before asking to see the kid, right? But uh, you know what? I like the fact though that they play with that, and it doesn't happen. And in fact, Julie's the one trying to keep them from putting the kid to sleep because she believes Heather, and they give the kid the drugs anyway, and she's trying to keep him awake. Yeah, and I mean, she gets the most gruesome death. I mean, it's a repeat of the Tina death mm-hmm. from part one, but this time we actually get to see what Freddie was doing and how he was dragging her, you know, Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling style around the room. Yeah. I thought that kill was incredibly brutal and great. I, I really dug it. I did too, and what I really liked too about it is that the it was witnessed, right, by multiple yeah. people who could say, you know, this is... This is fucked up. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about before. What does it look like when when you see somebody being attacked by Freddy in the real world? And it, you know, we've we've seen that done, and it's done not so well. Spencer last time in part six, you remember? Mm-hmm. And then you see it like this, and you're like, "Holy cow, that would be insane to see." Yeah, and yeah, I I thought that was uh, just fantastic. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was well done, but mm-hmm. she just gave me that vibe like she was going to turn on them at, at some point, and she never did. Which is good, but I don't know why. Maybe it's just the way that the actress played it or what, but she just seemed shady. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kept waiting to find out who the voice was, right? Like it was yeah. Wes Craven playing with her the whole time. I kept thinking, you know, someone's calling her. Who is it? Is it England? Is it Craven? Someone's, you know, playing with her emotions. And it never got, we never got a reveal on that or anything, which I thought well, was odd. I th- I- I think it's the I think it's the evil thing the the evil presence of Freddy that that takes the form of Freddy. I think it is indeed really yeah, calling her. Maybe so, or it's using again the if you look in the real world stuff, she had a stalker. She's had stalkers. They're use it. It's using somebody else to do its bidding. I mean, he could play it like that if you want to. I don't so know. I just felt like we should have had a payoff. Like this was all being set up by someone. Like Wes Craven was setting this whole thing up. On right. her. And it never came to that piece. And I think if it did, that would have been a lot cooler. You know, remind me of this when we get to the very end, because there's one thing about the ending I wish was different. And we'll talk about it when we get there, because it's along the same lines of what you're talking about here. But hold my thought on that for, for just a bit here. So they're pitching her on this movie idea, right? And look, the thing is, is that Bob Shea is is like, oh, well, you know, we can bring anybody back to life or whatever. But I, at no point does he mention like, yeah, we did kill Nancy off in part three. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you got to you got to fix that for me. Okay, you know, so, well, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. They they don't get that right, but you know what? Though, I love. I, I think that his scene in there is specifically because of what I talked about earlier. She's on that talk show where they're talking about. Do you, uh, you know, do you have any different feelings about horror movies now that you're a mom and all that? And then he gives her the whole bit about, um, well, you know, it, the kids are the demographic. And I, like, I think he's supposed to be like the business interest side of this, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's funny. And he, I mean, he plays it off. It's totally like it's this vanity project for her or whatever. And she's like, no, I just got too much else going on right now, which I, I did find to be kind of humorous the way she played that off. 
Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I, I thought it was real cool to see the scene. And like you said, you called New Line Cinema the house that Freddie built. And of course, what's Bob Shea's office got? Tons of Freddy stuff. It, oh, it's like right. this Andy Warhol <laughs> Freddy painting behind it, which I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, uh, I, I think that is funny to hear about. But you know what? Though? That that's not uncommon that you would see something like oh, that. Like yeah, I had sure. a, I had a friend once that was actually in a band that was signed to MCA as a record label, and he talks about walking in the office and this lady named Roxy Petrucci, who was the drummer for a band called Vixen, they had like this full spread photo of her above this guy's desk because he had been the guy that signed Vixen that was like you know working with them at one time and he talked about seeing that and thinking just how strange that was that you know she was just up you know leering over his desk but that's the kind of thing these people decorate oh yeah you know, I'm their sure. with, so. that's their trophies I mean, and I think they're having fun with Hollywood here, too. I mean, you know, they're kind of poking at their, their own selves a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Robert England does the Let's Do Lunch, Babe, you know, line tour, and, you know, I've got, <laughs> he's got a phone call and all this. I mean, he's so, like, Euro-trashy. He's just funny. <laughs> so, But yeah. I, that's the thing, though. I'm watching this, and I, I'm involved in it because it's trying to be this meta story inside of a story, real-world thing or whatever, but I'm also just sort of digging it. Like, I'm having fun watching these people play characterizations of themselves yeah and normally that can be like really self-serving and and pretentious and stuff but in this case it doesn't come off that way to me and i maybe it's just because i'm into this or something but i really thought this is like smart i'm like man i, I totally dig why people kind of trace some of what craven did with scream to this because mm-hmm. it does feel so related to kevin williamson's script yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of turning the world inside out on itself, right? And, right. and that's really what Scream is all about. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's very, very distinct ties back to that. And and maybe because Craven already did this film, he was able to use those elements as what, he, he directed Scream. Yes, Craven yeah. directed all the Scream films. Yeah, so, so maybe he just pulled yeah. from this experience to make that more reality and expanded on it, right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it wasn't. It was what was two years later that 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 happened and mm-hmm. changed horror for a decade because of it. Someday we're going to have to get to the Scream movies because yeah. I certainly have a lot of thoughts about those. There's only four of them, and I, I'll tell you now, I do like the television show that MTV's put together. The mm-hmm. first two seasons of that have been pretty pretty good. So there's, but that's another another day on Donahue here, as they say. We do get the the great meeting with Craven where I've talked about where he talks about the evils like a genie in a bottle and all that stuff and. And again, no lie, my mind was blown when he showed her that screen and like the conversation they just had was right there. That was me. pretty cool. I was like, no, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, now it's like I've seen that so many times that it's like, of course. But it, at that point, and again, if you just go with this, it's like, ooh, it just got real. Like, it just got real weird. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is what he reveals to her, though, just hang on to this for a minute. He reveals to her that I knew your husband was going to die before it happened because I wrote, wrote it, it on mm-hmm. the page. Right? That's messed up, you man. son of a bitch. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> like, she doesn't slap him or anything. No. Like, it, I, I got to say, Heather takes that pretty well. <laughs> I mean, that's... I don't know how I would react to that news, but I'm I'm certain to say it wouldn't be that favorable. I'd so. probably read ahead to the part where I killed him. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, let me help you with that next page, baby. The <laughs> <laughs> first thing, I'm going to get a million dollars. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. he actually show her the screen, or did it just pan down to the screen? I can't remember. 
I mean, no, he's standing over the computer and he's like, I promise you I'll finish writing this, but you know, no, you know, no idea where it's going to go, but can, can you play Nancy one last time? And she looks down and it's like, it's her point of view looking down at the screen. Oh, see, I, I took it that, said. um, that conversation was going on and then the camera pans down to the screen to show you that it was being written in the script. And I didn't take it at the point of view of Heather looking down at the computer. Well, I took it as she looked down and was like, okay. holy cow, you wrote out this whole conversation before I got here. Yeah, and now be. we're at the point where it ends. I mean, it's it's a again, it's a mind twister. It's what it's supposed to be at least. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I love how you know, evil Freddy attacks Heather at her home in her dreams. Like they finally get get a scene together before the big climax. And I, I did not expect that, nor did I remember that it was happening. I was like, holy cow, this has just come out of nowhere. Like this, I'm like, man, that was awesome. I I mm-hmm. loved how they went back and forth there a little bit with each other. I thought that was a great fight scene. I thought so too. I liked how they did it. Um, I also liked the 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 the. Well, we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending because I think it's really well done. Um, but I did. I enjoyed this this scene. I liked the scene with Robert Englund where he's talking to her on his primitive cell phone, and she's <laughs> in her house now. Here's the thing: she's got this stalker right that keeps stalker stalking her and calling her and all this other stuff. She has no clue what's going on with that. And what's she do? She has the back doors wide open in the house. <laughs> you notice that too. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. But anyway. What I'd like here is that in this universe, these people are all friends with each other still. Like yeah. she calls John Saxon for like fatherly advice. Right. You know, and, and hangs out at the playground with her kid with him, right? And, uh, and she calls Robert England because they're buds. And maybe they, I don't know. But I, I, it's, but you know what that is though? I'm like, that's every horror fan's fantasy anyway. Is that all these people are friends in real life? And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. You know, I'm sure they weren't calling each other up on the weekends like that. But <laughs> it's neat to sort of think about what would that world be like. Well, it, it, this is this is an idea of how that would go. And I, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was it was fun. It's like the idea of once you learn and you hear like Jim Ross does this all the time on his podcast with wrestlers and stuff. He gets them to come on and talk about the road trips they used to take together in between shows back in the seventies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And those stories are just awesome to me. And what's funny is to think about these guys would beat the stew out of each other, you know, be total mortal enemies and then get in a car and ride, you know, four hours together to the next show mm-hmm. and hear them talking. And that's kind of like what's happening here is yeah. you see this mortal combat on screen. And then these people, involve each other in their personal lives too but i like the fact that when she's talking with robert on the phone he's transfixed doing this painting right and we we don't know what it is and he's talking to her and she's like i need to come over and he's like well it's not a good day to come today and then he pans out and you see he's drawing basically freddy krueger with the souls in a painting which was really cool it's almost like he's transfixed too by this and it's affecting him as well and he doesn't realize it until he all of a sudden finishes the painting right yeah it's it's like it's happening to him and he doesn't realize he's doing it yeah you know it's it's just sort of coming out of him and then all of a sudden oh there it is you know and i've you know i've seen that done before in different thrillers and horror movies people are doing something they don't know what is infusing it and then they realize oh wow it's this you know it's this all along i kind of like that here that they give that to him and it freaks him out so bad that like he goes overseas he's like i'm going to europe see you later you know and he's, <laughs> right. he's just gone you know and i i, I do love that he just bugs out <laughs> after, after all of that he's like no i'm not, I'm not doing this so i I, I thought that was really funny and, and well done. So yeah. I, I was down for 
for that end here. I love the final showdown. Can we talk about the showdown in the dream world now? I think we're at that point where Nancy and Dylan decide they're going to take on Freddy in his underground lair. And it's um, it's like a repeat of the first part of the movie that we saw, right? Like the yeah. movie that's being made. Well, not only that, I love the fact that all of a sudden everyone's in character again. Like uh, yeah. John Saxon comes to the to the house and he repeats the whole sequence where where Nancy tells him that she thinks it's Freddy Krueger once again. Right, right, from the first movie. It's from like he's repeating movie. that. Yeah, yeah. it's and like it they're was, reliving that. I love yeah. that. And then she realizes mm-hmm. that now she's in some other state, right? Because right. he's not being himself. He's being the father to Nancy. He's being Lieutenant Thompson. Right. He's not being John. And the, the, yeah. I love the fact that he gets in the old 1980-something cop car yeah. <laughs> and drives off. I think that's just awesome. And then we get this this sequence where she's going to go after Kruger and finish it again, right? And I agree. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a, it was a cool showdown. I didn't really care for the the whole leaving the sleeping pills <laughs> as the breadcrumbs because <laughs> the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs. She took like six of those things. She'd be toast. I know. I'm like, man. Look, I I've only taken like prescription sleeping medication once in my life. I don't remember much about the next day. I can't imagine if I'd taken four or five. Oh my god! Right. I take two Tylenol PM, and it takes me a while to wake <laughs> up, man. She's taking so. these pills to get into the world, right? And she's yeah. confronting Freddy again. And Freddy's doing pretty darn good against her. Like, he's finally... It's almost like she's his demon, right? And he needs right. to he, exercise her from his life in order to move on. Ex, that's an excellent point. And I talked about that on the Stranger Things podcast with Nick. That I felt like the Demogorgon thing, the big demon in that, was the the opposite of the 11 girl, the supernatural girl is that there for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, even in metaphysical terms. And I kind of feel like that. And the way they've played all this up is that Nancy is Freddie's nemesis of all the ones that he's had, that she is indeed his nemesis yeah. in all of this stuff. It'd be like if somehow or another they had brought back Tommy Jarvis in Freddy versus Jason or in like Jason goes to hell or something like that, because that was Jason's ultimate nemesis, which it really wasn't. But you know, let's say they did that or something like that. It, it's like they've set this up and I love that they play along with that here. Cause I think you're exactly right. She is the, the light side to his dark side. And mm-hmm. we, we hadn't talked about it here, but the look for Freddy in this one is a lot more, horrific well like, it, it's I, definitely I, more sinister and they even call that out that i've yeah. been see, you've been seeing freddy he's definitely a lot more sinister than he is in the movies yeah so and they it's did kinda, a good it, job with that yeah it kind of looks steampunkish you know the way he's designed and everything it's much less on the colors it's everything's kind of rusted mm-hmm. you know around him and it's just it's i don't know it's horrific the one thing about the showdown brian that it just doesn't hold up as an effect. It's like the Freddy super tongue that goes around and the massive head that becomes like the head out of Beetlejuice that tries to swallow Miko Hughes yeah. uh, for a minute. Like that doesn't look so good. Yeah. Those now. were pretty cheap effects, you know, and, and, yeah. and the fact that he, that, um, that uh, Dylan was able to slice the ton and into like a snake ton and not, not to use that yeah. at all. They didn't even yeah. bother using it. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, beca- it becomes like a boa constrictor or something. I, there's, there's a lot there that the beard that get kind of strange, but I love how it's, it's basically 
they get him locked up in that big fire uh, tomb, which is I think is supposed to be some kind of dream world version of the boiler room where he was burned and where you know in her house the the furnace where the glove was kept and stuff. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that what that's supposed to be, along well, with yeah, like a Hansel and Gretel he's, oven. He's finally put yeah. away by the same th- the in his in his non-reality world the same way he was put away in the real world right he yeah he dies once again by fire by the right. same family right exactly and they roll out of the bed you know covered in soot and smoke but that's they've come out of the which is great because dylan has said the end of the bed is how you get to the dream world and he's mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you know which is very stephen kingish that that worked and then they roll out of it together and Laying there with them is the script. And here's the thing. Here's the one thing I wish had happened to totally circle this around. If they had, if somebody had yelled cut and then she turns around and you realize we're on a set Mm -hmm. and the whole thing has, like it was in the, in the opening, the whole thing has been a movie. If, If they had done that, I would, I would have stood up and applauded in my home. For yeah. it because that would have been uh, that. What I think that's where this movie wanted to go, but and they just did, did it with it, the script instead. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, Wes has that note in there about like, "Thanks for playing Nancy again," and it's finished, and she starts reading it back to Dylan, and then boom, that's it. We go to the credits. But I was like, I, I wanted, I wanted her to wake up and the husband to still be alive, everybody to still be alive. That it was a nightmare inside of a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like that mm. would have been super meta. That would have been I, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I did like how it, it it played out though, and, and the only thing I was a little uh, irked about is when she was reading the final page of the script. It felt like they were looking at it. There was more to it, and the, we didn't get to read that part. Yeah, it, it does look like the stage direction. Yeah, I'm sure it's. Direction yeah, I'm, sure it's I'm sure it's uh, Heather turns back to page one. Dylan asks her to read it again, right? Yes, it probably it, is. Probably I mean, what I don't it is, know. but it felt like there was more there that we just didn't get to see. Right, right. But again, this, it. this movie's almost two hours long anyway. I don't know that it needs to be longer. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, Brian, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Wes Craven's new nightmare? Jay, I'm giving this a large popcorn. I really enjoyed this movie. And in fact, of, of all the movies that we've seen, this ranks right up there in the top two or three, I think, of the Freddy series, even though it's not really part of the canon proper. It was just a great movie, and I liked what they did with the things. I like how Heather... I mean, I think Heather Langenkamp played the hell out of this role, which she never did in the other previous ones, for sure. But she, So what you're saying is she's great at playing a version of herself? Hell yeah. She's got that down. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed this movie, so I'm giving it a large popcorn, and I think it's, I think it's highly underrated. I, I think it's completely underrated. I, I agree with you there. I enjoy this just as a as its own standalone little film. I think it's probably the smartest thing Wes Craven ever did, and that's saying a lot because he's got a pretty wide oeuvre, and some of it's better than others. Go listen to Last House on the Left. You know, <laughs> you hear that or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of it we're never going to get to, thankfully. But I'll tell you, I think this was a genius idea. And again, it led him to making what's arguably his second best 
film or maybe third best film and that scream somewhere down the line so i i have always liked this movie though there's something about it that it's, it's just so off kilter and weird and strange but it's it's so engrossing i get into it every time i'm watching it and i, I want to tell you it, just set aside it's not really you set it aside is not part of the freddy series but more of a commentary on the Freddy series. I think it works great just in that sense. I mm-hmm. think this movie is fantastic. Definitely a large popcorn and and totally worth the ride. I mean, if if I were to put it in the rankings with the other ones, I'd put it right there below the the first one. Uh, it, it would be my second favorite nightmare film if I wanted to count it as such because cool. it's just so much fun. I enjoy it. So we've got one more Nightmare on Elm Street film to go. The 2010 remake. Uh, I'm really interested to revisit that. It's been a few years since I watched it. Yeah, I've I've only so, seen it once and I can't remember hardly anything about it. So I'm excited as well. Yeah, I'm excited to go back and revisit that. And then it's time to tag back up with our friend Ron and pick up Freddy vs. Jason. We're ending our Shocktober 16 series. Big series we've had been going on with Friday the 13th versus Nightmare on Elm Street here, man. It's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So I've enjoyed it, uh, talking about this with you. And, folks, hope you've enjoyed the shows as well. Of course, you can find all those shows on our iTunes feed and on the back uh, uh, archives of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Hook up with us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.